Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Filled with awe and great joy, the women came quickly away from the tomb and ran to tell the disciples. And there, coming to meet them, was Jesus. Greetings, he said. And the women came up to him and falling down before him, clasped his feet. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that they must leave for Galilee. They will see me there. While they were still on their way, some of the guard went off into the city to tell the chief priests all that had happened. These held a meeting with the elders and, after some discussion, handed a considerable sum of money to the soldiers with these instructions. This is what you must say. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And should the governor come to hear of this, we undertake to put things right with him ourselves, and to see that you do not get into trouble. The soldiers took the money and carried out their instructions. And to this day, this is the story among the Jews. The Gospel of the Lord. In the sequence, there's that little verse. Mors et vita duello. Death and life fight. They contended. Uh, combat strangely ended. Life itself is slain, yet lives to reign. Always when we celebrate the sacred mysteries, we need to call all of these realities, because that's what they are. They may be mysterious, but nonetheless, they're still realities constantly to mind. And in this way, our own spirits will remain always buoyant and full of hope. The disciples of our Lord did not expect his resurrection, though he had spoken of it on many occasions, even though it had been prophesied by um, the prophets of old, and we heard St. Peter speaking of this on Pentecost Sunday, where he, he says that David had prophesied, I saw the Lord before me always, for with him at my right hand nothing can shake me. My tongue cried out with joy, my body too will rest in hope, and you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to experience corruption." And then St. Peter goes on to explain that this did not apply to David, who, whose tomb is with them. His tomb is still with us, he says. And since he was a prophet, he knew that God was referring to one of his successors. Specifically, he says, what he foresaw and spoke about was the resurrection of Christ. He is the one who was not abandoned to Hades, 
and whose body was, did not experience corruption because God raised him to life. And it is the resurrection of the dead that is one of those central mysteries of our faith. So then, <clears throat> so then the, the disciples did not expect the resurrection. His enemies, strangely, thought something might happen. That's why they posted the guard. They went, they broke the Sabbath and went to Pilate and asked him to place a guard at the tomb. So on Saturday morning, they went um, and sealed the tomb, made sure that it had not been interfered with, and they placed the guards. So the whole of the Saturday, Saturday night into Sunday morning. The women, Mary Magdalene, Salome, and, and um, the other Mary, the mother of James, went to the tomb early so as to complete the anointing of the body. And as at that point, they saw that the tomb was opened. The rock had been taken away. The angel had appeared. The guards were like dead men. And the angel said, he is not here. Now, something happened at that point, just before the appearance of the angel. Because it would seem that Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, went off in a great haste, leaving the other two women who saw the angel. And so she ran immediately, had seen the tomb open to Peter and the other apostles to tell them that she, this body had been removed from the sepulchre. And so Peter and John are on their way, running um, to the tomb. And it was a considerable distance. And so the two women, having spoken to the angel, who said that he's not here, that he has um, risen, and that... They are to go and tell the brothers, and they must, the brothers must leave for Galilee, where our Lord would meet them. And so it is these two women who now make their way and, um, to, to, the, to, to the, the apostles, whereas Peter and James and Mary Magdalene taken another would go into. So they're, they're going to miss each other on the way. The... <clears throat> Guards, they go off to the city and it, they tell the chief priests what had happened. It's the Sabbath, but nonetheless, it's, sorry, it's the day after the Sabbath. So they call a meeting and the consult with the elders, there's a discussion. And then we're told they handed a considerable sum of money to the soldiers. There would have been at least four soldiers and a considerable sum meant more than they had paid Judas. And they give them instructions with a threat. This is what you are to say. The disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Well, any admission like that is the death penalty. To sleep on duty is, in fact, nothing short of, of treason. Dereliction of duty, the penalty is death. So even in making that admission they were endangering themselves. But if they were asleep, they could not say that they, anybody had stolen him, much less the apostles. And they add the threat, if they should get to the governor, if she should come to Herod, we undertake to put things right with him ourselves so that you do not get into trouble. So the soldiers are bribed and they are intimidated. 
as we said before, it's unlikely that the, the body would have been stolen, very unlikely, because, first of all, there was order in the, in the, in the tomb. The cloths which had wrapped the body and which ordinarily would have adhered to the body because one of the blood and the plasma that oozed from the body, secondly because of the spices, the myrrh in particular, so it would have adhered to the flesh. The, the thieves, if they were such, would not have gone to the extent of taking off the cloth, perhaps even ripping off the cloth, and then folding it very neatly and leaving it there, one, the, the main cloth, on one side, the one on the head on another. Nor would they have taken the risk of going through the city, even in the night, with the body of, naked body of a dead man. But all of this, what is most striking is that the chief priests and the elders, they said to the, to the, um, so, to the guards, you are to go and to say the disciples stole the body. So they are saying there was a theft, and not only a theft, but a sacrilegious theft as well. So then naturally, ordinarily, what would one do? Surely one would look for the thieves. But they make no such attempt to look for the thieves, which is another indication that they knew very well that there was, that our Lord had risen from the dead. But why was this... Why is there this refusal to accept the truth? Because the human way of thinking is not God's way. And throughout the scriptures, we see constantly on the part of the human race a reluctance to accept the truth as God reveals it. We see what Jeremiah suffered, even though he warned them again and again and again about the destruction of Jerusalem. They refused to believe him. And even when they saw the armies surround the city, they refused to believe. And even when they took him off into um, exile with them, they refused to believe. So this strange reluctance for us to believe the word of God is something that we need to pray about. We think also of Ahaz. Again, the prophet confronted him. Ask the Lord for a sign. I will not put the Lord God to the test with hypocrisy, or we think of Ahab, or we think of all the other kings and, and chief priests indeed, who again and again refused to believe what God had said. But in all of this, we know that God is a God of truth and that he works all things out for the salvation of his people, of those who will believe. In the first part of St. Peter's um, speech, he, he says, Men of Israel, listen to what I'm going to say. Jesus of Nazarene was a man commended to you by God. How? By the miracles and the portents and the signs that God worked through him among you, as you all know. So there were three things. There were the miracles and the portents and the signs. The miracles were the things that he himself did, such as the walking on the water, the multiplication of the loaves. The portents were the, th the, the, the miracles that he worked that were beyond the, the um, ability of nature, such as the raising of the dead or the calming of the storm. 
And then there were the signs, which were the miracles that, that nature could, could work, or rather they, these are the miracles that follow the law of nature, such as the healing of the sick. When a person is sick, like Peter's mother-in-law who, who had the fever, ordinarily she would recover. But when our Lord touched her, instantly she recovered and was able to, 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 to serve them at table. Or the, the, um, the, uh, the paralytic, it is theoretically possible that in time he could have recovered. Unlikely, but it was possible. So these are the signs. So, our Lord, so St. Peter gives these things that God worked. And God worked them so as the Jews would accept Christ as the Messiah. He goes on, this man who was put into your power by the deliberate intention for knowledge of God, our Lord would say to Pilate, you have no power over me. It has been given to you from above. And similarly for the chief priest. So God handed him over and our Lord handed himself over. This is your hour, he would say to Judas and to the guards when they came to arrest him. So it, his, his capture and his trial were, were, were not accidents. They were not things he could have avoided. They, he deliberately submitted himself to it. He said, and all of this, this man you put, was put to your power by deliberate intention for knowledge of God. You took and crucified by men outside the law. So all of this is given to you, and this is what you're guilty of, that you crucified him. And yet, he goes, you killed him. But God raised him to life, freeing him from the pangs of hell, for it is impossible for him to be held in its power. Since, says David, and he continues with the prophecy of David. So St. Peter is again making it very clear that our Lord fulfilled the prophecies and that they, these, the, the, the authorities, were part and parcel of God's plan. And there was still a time, because he's calling them to repentance, at the end of the, his speech, the people would say, what must we do to save ourselves? And he said, believe and repent. And the, the same applies to us. To believe is to accept the truth as God reveals it. What is striking is that when Our Lady came to Fatima in 1917, she asked for the consecration of Russia not once or twice, but three times. And the consecration was to be performed by the Pope and the bishops. And there was a hesitancy. And then there was the outright refusal by one Pope saying, this is not a message for our time. And then it was followed by, he was followed by Paul VI, who did not do the consecration. And even John Paul, he didn't do it as was required of him. He did not name Russia, which is the, the, key, the key message. And we come back to what the Lord said in, to Lucy about the message. They refuse, he says, since my ministers refuse to follow my commands, they will follow the king of France into misfortune. That was the punishment that was threatened. And then he says, they will do it, but it will be late. And so, the following of the king of France into misfortune must ask us, well, what is this about? 
And we go back to the 17th century, 1689, where St. Margaret Mary Alacoc was given a message by the Sacred Heart himself. Tell the king, Louis XIV, I want him to consecrate himself, his family, and France to my Sacred Heart. The king did not do it. Nor did his grandson who succeeded him, Louis XV. Nor did his grandson after him, Louis XVI, until it was in fact too late. Because the revolution began exactly 100 years after the request had been made in 1789. The king was arrested the following year. He was put on trial and he was condemned to death. In fact, it was shortly before his execution that, that um, he did the consecration. And that was in 1792, so just three years after the revolution. 1917, 100 years, takes us to 2017. The consecration has not been done. And now three years after, we have this pandemic. Our God is merciful and whatever chastisements he sends us, it's always for our good. But nonetheless, we in all humility accept the chastisement and ask him to speedily end this plague that we see and which is at the point of crushing um, our whole civilization because there's much at stake. Even after the pandemic, pandemic ceases, there will be a strange, be a strange new world in which we may see exactly what happened after the revolution, the reign of terror, where indeed the, the, the France and all of Europe suffered for the next um, eight years, um, whilst the, the, the revolutionaries destroyed everything that belonged to the, what remained of the Christian civilization. But as we know, a promise has been given. In the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. And so even as Christ has struggled with death, a struggle strangely ended because life conquered death and life lives to reign, so also will he live to reign again. Let it be that we ourselves reign with him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Mm-hmm.